Good morning, Stonebridge. My name is Matt Yoder, one of the pastors here. Fun worshiping with you today. I first just wanted to thank everyone. Um, for those of you who don't know, we had our third child, Ian, a couple weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. And so I just want to thank everyone for your encouragement, your prayers, for the meals. Um, everything has gone um, relatively smooth. Um, and really grateful for that. And I believe Heather and Ian are, are here this morning somewhere. So uh, you can give a shout out to them. But uh, yeah, thank you guys so much. So we're going to continue for, through 1 Corinthians 12. Um, and so if you can turn to 1 Corinthians 12, and while you're going there, I just want to imagine for a second if, if LeBron James, okay, everyone loves LeBron James, right? So if LeBron James, NBA basketball player, if he decided coming out of high school, instead of going to the NBA, I'm going to make trick shot videos on YouTube the rest of my life, or I'm going to do dunk videos on YouTube the rest of my life. It'd be ridiculous. Okay, be really selfish, and he would not be using his skills for the good of everyone, although it could be said that maybe he isn't now, even though he's on a team, but let's not, let's not get into the politics of that. But we're talking about spiritual gifts this morning in 1 Corinthians 12, and this may bring up many bad memories, confusing experiences you've had, uh, and here's why I think spiritual gifts go wrong. I think they go wrong and they go poorly when it becomes about individuals instead of about Jesus. Gifts go wrong when gifts are celebrated more than the giver of the gifts. So I'm going to give you a working definition of spiritual gifts, and then we're going to unpack that in this scripture this morning. So spiritual gifts are the supernatural ways that God's Spirit works through God's people to put a spotlight on God's Son and build others up. There are the supernatural ways that God's Spirit works through God's people to put a spotlight on God's Son and build others up. So here's the main thing about spiritual gifts, though. If you forget everything else I say this morning, if you came in really tired this morning, you fall asleep, I'm not going to be that offended. You probably really need it, needed it. But just remember this, okay? Spiritual gifts are not about you. Spiritual gifts are not about you. And that's what we see pretty clearly in this passage. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Okay, these first three verses, here's, here's what he's saying. Spiritual gifts are not about putting a spotlight on you. They are about putting a spotlight on Jesus. So in verse 1, he's saying, hey, you guys were clearly uninformed about spiritual gifts. He's talking to the Corinthians. Paul's talking to the Corinthians and the church in Corinth. And he's saying, it seems like you've transferred some of your pagan rituals over to the church in following Jesus. Because... What would happen a lot in, in these other religions in Corinth is people would just be speaking in these weird utterances and languages and people would have no idea what they're saying and it would do no good for anybody. And it was just a spectacle, a show. People were making it all about themselves. And Paul's saying that can't happen in the church. And that's why he starts writing about this and talking about this. 
Paul's saying, I want to bring clarity to how the Holy Spirit works and clarity to how the Holy Spirit speaks. He doesn't speak in unhelpful, disorderly, self-focused ways. Their main problem is they were drawing attention to themselves, not a drawing attention to Jesus. Because here's, here's the thing. The Holy Spirit's job is to make much of Jesus, to put a spotlight on Jesus. Some people call the Holy Spirit like the timid member of the of the Trinity. I think that's a good way to put it because he's never going, look at me, look at me. He's always going, look at Jesus. So verse 3, it says, when the Holy Spirit is, is working, at the end it says, people will say Jesus is Lord. That doesn't mean anyone can say Jesus is Lord or like it says before, Jesus is accursed. Anyone can say that. Paul's saying people will say these things and really mean it. You can't really say, yes, Jesus is the Lord and mean it without the Holy Spirit working and moving in you. And vice versa, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're going to naturally say Jesus is accursed. But he's saying, you know what, Paul, Paul's saying anyone can say that and mean it. But here's, here's his whole point. So in your, in your pagan religion, you were worshiping mute idols who wouldn't speak. Now you're worshiping a God who does speak. And when he speaks, his main job is to put a spotlight on Jesus. So here's a picture of the Statue of Liberty. Now, when people see the Statue of Liberty at night, especially, they don't go, wow, look at those lights that are lighting up the Statue of Liberty. Those must have cost a pretty penny. Wow, those lights are incredible. No, you go, look at the Statue of Liberty. Look at its majesty. Look at how great that is. Look at, look at the architecture there, right? The focus is on the Statue of Liberty, not the lights. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So I have this quote from this book called Jesus Continued. I think I've mentioned it here before by J.D. Greer. Great, practical, good theological guide on the Holy Spirit. You should check it out. But he says this. This means that when someone claims to be filled with the Spirit and yet spends most of the time talking about his own experiences with the Spirit, you have reason to doubt whether he really is filled with the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit speaks through someone, You tend to forget about the person speaking. You don't even really think about the Holy Spirit. You find yourself thinking about Jesus. So that's the point. When when we see things going on, spiritual gifts being exercised, and it's all about a person, you you should probably start to question that. But when you see them exercising, all you can think about how great God is and how great Jesus is, you, you, can, you can almost be assured that's the Holy Spirit working. That's God moving and working in a powerful way. So, first point, spiritual gifts are not about putting a spotlight on you. They're about putting a spotlight on Jesus. Let's now go to verses 4 through 6. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And the varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Jump down to verse 11. All these are empowered by one, by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. So spiritual gifts are not about your power. They're about the Holy Spirit's power. The Holy Spirit, God Himself, empowers believers. And the Corinthians, they were selfishly doing things to draw attention to their own strength, to their own power. And they were abusing and misusing spiritual gifts. 
See, spiritual gifts are not nearly as much about trying really hard to figure out what your spiritual gifts are and use them as they are about relying really hard on the Holy Spirit and then just letting him work. You know, I've seen it. I've seen in settings before, in churches, in college ministries, um, where people are teaching other people how to get a spiritual gift. Wait a minute. You can't get a gift from somebody else. You can get a spiritual gift from the Holy Spirit, from God, but you can't like conjure up spiritual gifts. Okay, I'm going to try really hard. I'm going to do this thing here. Let me teach you how to prophesy. Let me teach you how to teach the Word of God. Sure, you can grow in some of those a bit, but if, if God is not working and empowering those, it's not a spiritual gift. And it's probably you just trying to get attention. Clearly, the Holy Spirit is working, though, when it can only be explained as, wow, that was God working here. There's no other way to explain this except God was at work. And notice it's not just gifts in verses 4 through 6. He, he says gifts right away. And then verse 5, he talks about service. And verse 6, he talks about activities. The Holy Spirit's not, not limited to a list of gifts in the ways that he works in his people. Holy Spirit can, can work in all sorts of different ways. And there's all sorts of different lists of spiritual gifts in the Bible, and they're good and helpful, but I don't think it's exhaustive. If the Holy Spirit is God, which he is, then God can work in, in a ton of different ways. So spiritual gifts are not about your power. They're about the Holy Spirit's. Verse 7 now. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Stop right there. Spiritual gifts are not about building you up. They're about building others up. It's for the common good, it says. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, which is up on the screen, it says, and he gave the the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. You see it again. It's for the common good. First Peter 4.10, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. So over and over again, we see whenever Scripture addresses gifts, it says it's not about you, it's about building others up. It's about serving other people. And just a side note, if, if you want to remember where all these lists of spiritual gifts are, just remember fours and twelves. So 1 Peter 4, Ephesians 4, there's lists. And then Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. Easy way to, to find your way around in the Bible, around spiritual gifts. But it's about building others, building others up. Helping others grow in their Christ-likeness. That's what it means to build other people up. It's not to make you look good or make you look like a good little Christian. No, you build others up to make them look more like Jesus, help them look more like Jesus. And here's the thing, this flies in the face of the Corinthian and American culture today. And that culture, our culture by and large, is all about individualism. And so is the Corinthian culture. See, we're subtly trained by our culture to live selfishly isolated lives from other people. 
How can I get more power? How can I get more attention? How can I get more comfort? And following Jesus just flips that on its head. And now we go, we should go, how can I help other people know, love, obey Jesus? How can I help other people grow in Christ-likeness? It's not like Burger King, have it your way. Okay? We use our greatest strengths, our greatest abilities to benefit others, not to have it our way. Now, I just said something. I said that we're subtly trained by our culture to live selfishly isolated lives from one another. Let's just focus on the isolated part for a second. You have to be involved in the lives of other people in order for you to use spiritual gifts. If you're here today and you're like, yes, we're talking about spiritual gifts. I want to figure out what mine are and use them. And you are not in genuine relationship with other believers. Forget about spiritual gifts. You just need to go out and start doing stuff to serve other people first. I'm going to get to this a little later, but I think that's the best way to find your spiritual gifts is just to start serving and find out ways that God really starts to use you in powerful ways. And it's not just showing up here at church, like not just sitting in a seat. It's intentionally getting to know other people so that you can serve them in a way that's actually going to be loving to them. And it's not just showing up at a small group, at a connection group. It's getting to know the struggles, the, the trials, the lies that people in your group are believing. Don't even think about your spiritual gifts. Until you're in real Christ-centered community. And if you want to become, if you want to get more connected, want to help, need some help taking that step, we would love to help you get connected into a connection group right now. So if you want to fill out the bottom of your, your little program, turn that into the welcome table or the offering box. I would love to help you get more connected with people. But even then, you have to go and intentionally get involved in the lives of other people. So spiritual gifts are about the common good. They're not about you. Okay. Now I want to walk through this list of spiritual gifts in 8 through 10 and just give some definitions of them. So starting in verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Verse 9. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Now jump down to verse 28 because he continues with, with a list of other spiritual gifts. Verse 28, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of gifts. I'm just doing the next person a favor who has to preach on that so that they can focus on what that passage is focused on, and I'll cover the spiritual gifts. So, um, okay, three main views on how gifts are used today, and they all center around how you'd interpret 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 12. I'm going to get a little bit technical on you for a second, so hang with me. But if you can just flip a page over, 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 12. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, 
it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So here's where the controversy comes. In verse, what verse is that? Nine. It talks about, no, verse 10, sorry. When the perfect comes, all these gifts are going to pass away. So the question is, who or what is the perfect? And when will the perfect come? When prophecy, tongues, knowledge will pass away. Here's the first view. It's called the cessationist view. This view says that certain supernatural miraculous gifts ceased after the writing of the Bible was completed. So they're, answering, they're interpreting this passage by saying, hey, the perfect is the Bible. And as soon as the Bible was written, these gifts, these more miraculous type gifts of prophecy, tongues, knowledge, they're gone. They don't happen anymore. Okay, that's one interpretation. Another interpretation, kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum, is the Pentecostal view. And they say that all the gifts of the Spirit are in continual operation until Jesus comes back. So they're saying the perfect here is Jesus. All of these gifts are in play until Jesus comes back. And he hasn't come back yet. Or at least I hope he hasn't, because here we all are. But Jesus Jesus hasn't come back yet. So um, all these gifts are are still in place. But they're saying they should continually be in play. All of them. All the time. Whenever the church gathers, we should see all of these gifts. All the time. Now, somewhere in the middle is the view called the open but cautious view. And they say that all the gifts of the Spirit can be in operation until Jesus comes back. But not all of them will be in play all of the time. So they interpret this the same way the Pentecostals do. They say the perfect is Jesus. When Jesus returns, that's when these gifts will pass away. Now, just so you know, this is where Joey and I land in this open but cautious view. Uh, And so that's how we're going to address these spiritual gifts. So if you have some difference in opinions, we're saying this isn't a hill we're going to die on. This is just the way we have to talk about these somehow from some bent. That's just where we're coming from. And what really convinces me of it, though, is uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 11 says, For now we know in a mere dimly, but then face to face. A face sounds like a person to me. Sounds like the perfect coming back has to be Jesus. Because I, I can't see a Bible face to face. That just doesn't quite seem to jive. So that's why I land where I land. So let's get into some definitions and some distinctives and some cautions of all these gifts. And I just, I'm doing this to bring some clarity. But I want you to keep in mind this whole time that these are just to point a spotlight to Jesus. And they're meant to build others up. So, let's get into it. These first couple gifts. Utterances of wisdom and of knowledge. They're, they're pretty hard to kind of splice and split up. So I'm just going to define them in the same way. If you can throw that up there. Okay, the God-given ability to speak with great understanding and knowledge of a person or specific situation. So these, these people who have this gift provide divinely given solutions in the midst of conflict and confusion. 
They hear the Spirit provide direction for God's best in a given situation. They apply spiritual truth in specific and practical ways. Now some cautions with this gift. People could fail to share the wisdom that God has given to them. They could, they could very clearly have something, some insight into something, and they just keep it to themselves because they're scared. What will people think? So if you have this, use it. Another caution, you could become really wise in your own eyes and think, you know what, I know what's wise. I know knowledge, so I'm not going to really go to Scripture much. And that can be really dangerous really quickly. We have to test everything with Scripture for wisdom and for knowledge. So an example of this, um, often in our elder meetings here at Stonebridge, some will, there'll be confusion about what we should do with some situation, and then someone will say something, and that will all be like, yes, <laughs> that's, that's it. And I think often that's God just downloading some wisdom to one of us to help us move forward, to build up the body of Christ. Next one, faith. The God-given ability to live boldly and take risks as a result of having unwavering confidence in God's power and promises. These people act in complete confidence of God's ability to overcome obstacles. They boldly ask God for what's needed and trust Him for His provision. Cautions, they need to actually act on their faith. They also need to remember that those who speak with reason and desire to do some planning don't necessarily lack faith. Okay, there was a woman in our church not that long ago who was confidently praying and having faith that our date night marriage event was just going to be packed. And I just kind of laughed at her. <laughs> I'm like, sure, just like our parenting one. You know, I just, just, just going, yeah, okay, whatever. I, I didn't have the gift of faith in that situation, but she did. And sure enough, she was right. I think she has the spiritual gift of faith just to believe God. Yeah, God, we know your heart is to help people's marriages out. So we're going to we're going to trust that you're going to pack this place and help a bunch of marriages out. It's beautiful. Another gift, healing, the God given ability to supernaturally and successfully in faith, ask God to heal someone and then that person be healed. And I'm going to talk about miracles right along with it. So miracles, the God-given ability to periodically do things in the power of God that supernaturally reveal the power and the presence of God among his people and create a sense of godly fear. So here's what's distinctive about healing and miracles. They're designed to show God's power and draw people to himself. God doesn't do these things just, just so we can go, oh, wow, someone was healed. No, it's so people can go, oh, wow, that was Jesus. That's God. I can't deny that he is real and he's working. I'm believing in him. And it still happens today. These things still happen today. Cautions, don't get more excited about the healing than you get about the healer, God himself. And this doesn't mean it'll happen every time. Just because it's happened in the past, you prayed for someone and they were healed, doesn't mean it'll happen every time. Now, I'm not going to give any examples because, well, I think it's pretty obvious when someone's healed or a miraculous thing happens. Okay, prophecy. 
Prophecy is the God-given ability to tell others something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. People who have this gift understand God's heart and mind through experiences that He's taken them through. They're able to speak a timely word from God, causing conviction, repentance, and edification. Cautions, listeners may reject the message if it's not spoken with love and compassion. And they need to remember that discernment and Scripture must support and agree with a prophecy. So, in the Bible times, there were prophets, and they were used to actually speak the very Word of God that was written down in Scripture for us. That office no longer exists. But God certainly does speak through His people nowadays. But if it doesn't jive with Scripture, it's not from God. An example of this, I mean, almost every time I'm up here preaching, I say something that I had never planned to say, that someone later will come up to me, man, God really spoke to me and used that in my life. And I'm like, I don't know where it came from, but, uh, oh, I do. It wasn't from me. It was from God, so praise Him. So that, that happens often here, but it doesn't just happen in preaching. It happens often when you're encouraging others, when you're getting involved in the lives of other people. And God just, just like gives you something to just share with some, maybe some scripture. I really need to share this with someone. Don't ignore those things. If God wants you to share some encouragement, some scripture with other people, do it. Go for it. Why wouldn't, other pe- why wouldn't God want you to build up other people? Next gift, discernment. The God-given ability to clearly recognize and distinguish between the influence of God, Satan, the world, and the flesh, or the sinful nature, in a given situation. These people say things like, something's not right here. Or, I have a hunch, I have a feeling about this. They recognize inconsistencies in teaching, in prophetic messages, and in interpretations. Some cautions. People with the gift of discernment can, can often start to look for Satan under every bush. Satan isn't behind everything. Uh, they need to confirm their perceptions before speaking, confirm it with Scripture before they just blurt it out. They have to study Scripture well to discern what's godly and what's worldly. Timeliness is also huge. So you have to have grace. You have to have gentleness. That's key. If you discern something's off, there might be a wrong time for you to share that it's off. That would actually just not be all that helpful to the body of Christ. But in the right timing, it's great. So, discernment. What's this look like in real life? Well, when you're trying to discern whether it's Yanny or Laurel. No, I'm totally kidding. That's not, that's not this gift at all. I had to throw it in there somewhere. It's Yanny, by the way. Um, but <laughs> there's no L's in there. Okay, I'm done. Um, all right. Uh, here's an example. Uh, have you ever had someone come up to you and go, you know what, seems like there's something wrong. Like I get, maybe, maybe you haven't even told anyone that there's something wrong. Maybe you're struggling with some sin or there's some huge trials in your life. But someone just comes up, it seems like something's wrong and I really care about you. Are you all right? I think that person was using some discernment that was downloaded from God to help you out. And when that happens to you, when people say things like that to you and it's true, 
take it. Take it as from God and go, yeah, I'm not. I'm not doing well. Here's what's going on. Can you pray for me? So discernment. Next one, tongues. What are tongues? Well, the word in Scripture just means languages. Okay, tongues sounds kind of weird. So just if we can think of it more around that, languages. It's the God-given ability to speak or pray in a language unknown to the person with the gift. Okay, three ways that this looks. Three types. First type is for evangelism. Okay, this happened in Acts 2 where the apostles just started speaking in other people's languages and they heard them in their own language. So let, let's say there was someone who spoke Spanish and I just started speaking and they, I, was spe- I was speaking Spanish to them and I don't know Spanish except for no hable espanol, right? So here I am speaking, right? And they just hear me clearly to share the gospel. That's what it's for. It's for evangelism, to share the gospel. I've actually prayed for this multiple times when I've been in other countries because I'm like, where's my interpreter? They're nowhere to be found. Oh no, I want to share Jesus with them and I can't. And he's never given it to me yet, but I'll keep praying for it in those situations. But that's what it can look like. Um, Another way that this can look is in prayer. This is a private, unknown, heavenly language for prayer. We see this mentioned 1 Corinthians 13, 1, 14, 2, 4, and 14. And then when that gift goes public, it's like the prophetic gift. It's a public, unknown, heavenly language for prophecy. So we see that mentioned here in this scripture and then in 14, verse 6. Now, this prophetic gift has to be accompanied by an interpreter. That's where the Corinthians were going wrong a lot. That's... I think why Paul was writing this passage is because they, com- they were coming up during church service and just babbling and no one knew what, it, what they were saying. Well, that doesn't build the body up. But if they did that and then someone interpreted it and it was something that the body needed to hear, praise God. Now, distinctives and cautions and examples, I'm going to leave for Joey in 1 Corinthians 14 because that goes more in depth there. Punt. Yes. Uh, next gift, apostle. Or the visionary leader, the God-given ability to start and oversee the development of new churches and ministry structures. This is not the office of apostle like Paul, Peter, and John. These people pioneer and establish new ministries, establish new churches. They adapt to their surroundings by being culturally sensitive and aware and relevant. Some cautions. They need to be affirmed and sent by a church. They shouldn't just go off on their own. Um, and some cautions. They, they can, this type of person can tend to be a little demanding and pessimistic. Now, a great example we had here last Sunday preaching to us, Troy Nesbitt. God has used him in amazing ways to start Cornerstone Church and grow that, to start the network that we're a part of. Jack Owens as well, who, who was the main person behind starting our church here. God has used him in several ways to start the, the college ministry that became Cornerstone Church. And then here, and he, he was also used to start the international ministry over at Iowa State. He's just a starter, visionary leader. That's what this gift is talking about. And then you have the gift of teaching. Teaching is the God-given ability to understand, clearly explain, and apply the Word of God, causing greater Christ-likeness in the lives of listeners. These people give attention 
to the detail and to the accuracy of Scripture. And they challenge listeners to simply and practically use those truths of Scripture in their everyday lives. Some cautions, they should avoid pride, thinking that their gift is superior to other people's gifts. And as we'll see next week, um, or I guess in two weeks, because we have the community worship service, the gifts are to build up the body of Christ. And we need each other. So one gift is not better than the next gift. Now, a great example of this is Ryan Graydon, who gets up here and teaches on occasion for us. Now, that's not what he does for a living, but yet he, come, he has that gift, so he's here and he's willing to use that, and we're blessed by it. So it's good. Next gift helps the God-given ability to accomplish practical and necessary tasks which free up support and meet the needs of others. These people serve behind the scenes wherever is needed and support the gifts and ministries of other people a lot of the time. They see the tangible and practical things to be done and enjoy doing them. They like to be behind the scenes. They sense God's purpose and pleasure in meeting everyday responsibilities. Now some cautions, the people with this gift need to be responsive to the priorities of leadership instead of just setting their own agenda. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Others also need to esteem this gift and remember that doing practical deeds is a spiritual contribution to the body of Christ. An example of this is is people running sound, running slides today, running lights, all those people who are just saying, you know what, I don't want to be seen. I don't want people to even know that I'm doing it, so I'm sorry that I'm even drawing attention to you right now. But... We need to affirm that in them and say, you know what? What you're doing is just as important as what I'm doing up here teaching and preaching. And that's, and that's true. So this is the gift of helps. Administration. These are the detail people. These are the not-me's of the world. The God-given ability to understand what makes an organization function and the special ability to plan and execute procedures that accomplish the goals of the ministry. These people organize people, organize tasks and events. They assist ministries to become more effective, to become more efficient, and they create order out of organizational chaos. Praise God. Some cautions. They need to be open to adjusting their plans so they don't stifle leaders' vision. And they could end up using people to simply accomplish their goals without being concerned for other people's growth in the process great example of this is our associate pastor, Joey Weber. He does so many things that are both seen and a lot unseen to help make organizational uh, um, or to help take the organizational chaos that I often create and make some order out of it. So super grateful for him and his gift of administration and, and many others that I've enlisted to help me out as we've walked through as well in this church. So here's our challenge with all of these gifts. And there's more gifts listed in the Bible. But I just wanted to address the ones in 1 Corinthians 12 today. My challenge to you is to call a spade a spade. And when you're prophesying and when you're using discernment, don't say, I just had a hunch. Don't say, well, maybe, maybe I'm, I have this thing to encourage you. I don't know. No, you go confidently go, you know what? I'm, I want to encourage you with this because I really feel like it's from God. Now, yes, test it with Scripture. But boldly, 
use spiritual gifts. Boldly go out of your way to serve other people. And this world is going to think you're crazy sometimes when you start using spiritual gifts. But isn't that what it should look like? A world that the Bible tells us is naturally against what Jesus is about. Shouldn't we look a little crazy every once in a while? So start using them. Don't be afraid of them. All right. How can you discover your spiritual gifts? I'm going to go really quickly through this. Just start serving people. Just start doing something. Love, serve others boldly, radically. And as you do that, note three things. Now, I also know that there are spiritual gifts assessments out there, and those can be really helpful. They weren't helpful for me because they told me I had the gift of administration and something else that's totally not me. So I'm not sold on them. But I love this, and this also comes from this book by J.D. Greer. But your ability, what are you naturally good at? Affinity, what are you passionate about in the body of Christ? Our personality and our passions do matter and are used. And then affirmation, can you think of a time when people told you that God really used you in their lives? What were you doing when they were affirming that? A mission trip is a great way to discover these because you have a whole bunch of people around you who are observing you serving other people. So, shameless plug for mission trips and missions. But even once you discover your spiritual gifts, remember, they're not about you. They're about putting a spotlight on Jesus, not on you. They're about the Holy Spirit's power, not your own. And they're about building other people up, not yourself. And I want to end by sharing a story. So, a few months ago, I can't remember when this one was, actually. There was someone in our church that was in the hospital. And I went to visit them. And they had received a card from someone else in our church. And they were like, look at this. It has Psalm 23 in it. And that's my favorite psalm. And God really used this to minister to me. I'm like, well, that's amazing. That's great. So I go later and I talk to this person that wrote this card. I'm like, you were really used by God there. That was sweet. Thanks for encouraging that person. They're like, that's crazy. Because I literally had another card with another scripture written down. And I just felt like God was saying, you know what? No, you need to put Psalm 23 on there. So I changed that last second. Now, I don't know what you call that. I don't know if that's prophecy, discernment, whatever, word of knowledge. I don't really care. I don't think it matters. Because when we really start to serve other people and love other people and listen to God and listen to those promptings, the body is built up. And Jesus looks really great and really beautiful. So our challenge is not to figure out how we can pigeonhole different things we do into boxes of spiritual gifts and figure out what ours are. Our challenge is to serve others in radical ways, in bold ways, and be open to what God would have for us. Let's pray.